Welcome to Behind the Dunes Podcast. I'm your host, Connor, with Pete Popovich. Hey, everybody. Good to be here. Pete, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's a nice spring day in the low country, and you can't complain. Exactly. So, Pete, how long have you lived on the island? Uh, moved here the first time in August 31st, 1992. Why I remember that date, I don't know. Maybe just because it's I'd never really been out of the Midwest. And, you know, to come to the low country was a eye-opening experience, especially as a teenager. Uh, I was here for a year, went back to school and finished, and moved back to Hilton Head permanently in 1995 in the fall. And I've been here since. So what's that, 20, 27 years straight, and it'll be 30 this year total. So you're originally from Michigan. Mm-hmm. What brought you down here? I did an internship at Sea Pines. Um, in fact, the odd thing was it maybe it was by chance or divine intervention. Um, I was supposed to go to Arizona that year for an intern. Uh, and then that fell through, and then um, Colorado popped up for that summer, and then they wanted me to stay, which would have been into the next semester at school, and I didn't want to sit out the second half of semester. So I started. I went back to school. I was off that summer, and I started. My dad and I were looking at the list of places to go, and Hilton Head was one, and I had never been here. I said, it's either Hilton Head or Atlanta. I, I, you know, I wanted to go somewhere warm. Right. Um, and he just said, look, you know, Atlanta's a big city. You can get lost in that, it, you know, being in Detroit and or outside, you know, growing up just outside of Detroit. He said, why don't you try Hilton Head? What do you got to lose? And I did and had knew nothing about it outside. It was an island and a lot of golf and beach, but um, it ended up being great. I mean, I basically haven't left uh, since. So the island's kind of stuck with me. You were playing on the golf team when you were in Michigan, right? I, you know, high school, I didn't play on the golf team at Ferris. They, they only had one season. Right. Um and it made it difficult, uh, especially at, during tryouts. And then I was on internships uh, for this last two years I was there, so I didn't, I wasn't there for the season. So, which, which is fine. I mean, looking back, I mean, while you're there, you kind of wish you could have played at that level of athletic, right? Um, but looking back, it's like that. I really want to spend all that time training, traveling, everything else, and missing out on the college experience, so to speak. Because I played, I multi sports in, in high school, and we were we were very good at. Uh, particular basketball for the the uh, eastern region of Detroit, uh, the suburbs, and I mean our practices were two and a half three hours long sometimes and six days a week. And by that point, I I had a taste of what upper level athletics was like, and I just didn't want to didn't want to continue with that, at least at that time. So when you came down here, where'd you where'd you first live? Uh, let's say I lived at uh, Hilton Head Four Seasons, where anyone who's been here for the, that came in the 80s or the early 90s, uh, almost everybody started their Hilton Head life uh, probably at, at Four Seasons, which is right down the road from our offices. And, in fact, that, is, that complex is the, was the trigger of why Hilton Head passed legislation on density and, and building on the island. They did not want it to turn into a Myrtle Beach. Uh, going back to when the town was incorporated in the mid-'70s, uh, Ben Rakusen was the first uh, town mayor, and I, I knew Ben, th- Ben was in the CIA for his career, and my uncle was in the CIA, and they, they were in together. They, they knew one another. In fact, when I moved here, my uncle called up my dad and said, you know, tell Pete to go look up Ben Rakusin. He's an old CIA buddy. And then when I get down here, I found out he's the mayor, which was kind of <laughs> small world, right? <laughs> small world. <laughs> like, okay. Um, ben and I didn't connect until later when I got into the real estate business. Uh, but not to get off on a tangent, but a real quick story about Ben and how sharp he was uh, minded and the good things that he did for the island. 
outside of, of having the foresight with some other people to identify what they wanted the island to be very early on and what they didn't want it to be. But uh, so this, when I finally met Ben, when I got into real estate would have been, let's see, I, I called him when I got here in, in 92 and I didn't get in to real estate full time until 2006. So that would have been eight or what, 14 years. Yep. So it was 14 years later, I actually met Ben that we just didn't just talk on the phone. And when I introduced myself, he said, Oh yeah, you're, you're a pop's nephew. He said, I remember we were, we were supposed to get together. And I'm thinking to myself, that's pretty impressive. Cause I, I had called him originally uh, when I was leaving town for Christmas and said, Hey, my uncle told me to get in touch with you. Um, but I'm leaving town for Christmas and New Year's. When I get back, we'll, we'll get together. We, we And we never were able to connect until 2006. And he said, you, you know, we were supposed to get together for a drink a few years ago. So that was pretty impressive. At the time, he was in his 80s. Uh, so that he could remember a very a nobody like me uh, on, an, on an instance where we only had a couple phone conversations and specifics about that was impressive. But to get back to uh, Four Seasons, the first, that was the first place I moved. And then back then in Hilton Head, and still today, all the action is on the south end, right? right. So almost 100% of short-term rentals are from uh, Folly Field Road to Sea Pines. And back at that time, uh, all the food and beverage or most of the, the workers, the, the tennis pros, the golf pros, the food, and the bartenders, the waitresses, and so on, would all live in, in the Forest Beach area because right. you had a quick ride anywhere. And in Bluffton, there was really nothing in Bluffton, Yeah, right? There, it was a blinking stoplight for what is now at the Promenade. Um, in the north end of the island, you, you would hardly ever go there unless you had to go to Walmart. That was usually on Sunday. So I moved, I quickly realized that, and I ended up living in, in Ocean Breeze uh, off South Forest Beach. Yep. And I lived there for quite some time and, and hated to leave. I mean, when I had to go back to school, I mean, you're, you're going from Hilton Head in the spring. and Back to Michigan. Back to Michigan, in northern Michigan, uh, not even the southern part, but, I mean, the northern part of the, upper penin- or the lower peninsula. It's like... God, this is, I, I think I've probably gotten some depression or something as a 20-year-old kid. Right. That, that was not very fun. Going back from this to, what, snow? Yes, I mean, and, and it was it, it was just the, the mindset of, I, I enjoyed, I didn't mind working. I enjoyed being out in the world, so to speak, as opposed to being in the, the college atmosphere of, which is a learning environment, but it's everybody wants to go party. You know, it's like, okay, we're right. going to do, we'll go to class and we're going to study for an hour or two, but then we're looking forward to where, where's Monday night football, the best place to go and drink beer. Where's who's got the biggest party this weekend. I mean, that, that was fun once in a while, but I, I enjoyed more um, being on Hilton head working, but then having the opportunity to go watch um, golf instructors or talk to people like, like Ben and people who had been out in the world and, and had, were world-class at what they did and, and be able to pick their brain and sit down with them. Because at that time, Hilton Head, and it still is to some extent, Hilton Head was very – local was a very prominent uh, word that held a lot of meaning and that locals took care of locals. But you obviously took care of the tourists in season, and back then we we were designated seasons more or less. Like the winter was an off-season. Right. Like from literally from the middle of October until the middle of March, it was off-season. You, you had a little rush at Thanksgiving. You had a little rush at – Christmas and New Year's, and then the, basically you shut the water off. And there were a n- number of restaurants and businesses that would close until mid-March, and they would all get going again. But that was the time that you got to meet a lot of locals. Uh, a lot of people would hang out at either Ancelotta's or at Riley's because those the Riley family has been here for, I think, 50-plus years. And, right. And what, what I thought was very smart for their part, which doesn't seem to hold or 
true as much anymore is back then they gave all the tennis pros and all the golf pros a, a 15% discount on food. So naturally, where did all the, the, the people who worked in the golf and tennis industry right go for, yeah, go to yeah. eat, especially in off season. So you met a lot of people who lived here year round. You got to develop friendships. And then when season kicked off again, everyone was so busy that, that you had, you know, you had to focus and do your thing. Um, but then when things slowed down, at least you, you know, you had, you had, you had networking that you could go do other things. You could go fishing, you could go kayaking, ten, uh, play tennis if you want to do all the things that Hilton has known for. So with all of that, like you said, everything was focused more on the south end. That's basically where everybody lived. Mm-hmm. Now the north end of the island is exploding. Yes. How how has that changed? Like, talk me through like your your time from here, like seeing it grow. Like, yeah. I, well, I think the, the the credit fallout changed everything in the in the area, in the state, in the nation, in the world for forever, and that it. It's like a phoenix, right? I mean, this island's been here for better part of fifty or sixty years. So, what what ended up being a, a very difficult and, and negative time provided opportunity for, hey, wh- what can we do and what can we make better? Now, whether you're pro or anti um, change, th- there was a big change uh, in the area, and, and and in talking to people as I do as I make my calls. Uh, during the week and talk to people here in Palmetto Dunes or around the island who have lived here for 20, 30, 40 years. They, they don't like the change, and it's understandable because when they moved here, the, the, the dynamic of the island was very small. I think there was 20,000 full-time residents, maybe yeah. maybe an 11,000. We were talking about this last night when we were down at Caligny having ice cream with some people. Um, that it used to be 11,000 full-time residents. Now, I mean, everyone said 33,000 for the last 20 years, but it's got to be pushing 50,000 now. But everything was much, as I said, there was off-season. It, it was much more local, to use that term again. Um, but a- as things provided opportunity for development and as people who had helped build the island got to the point where they wanted to retire or they were, they had just done it for decades and they wanted to, to move on to do something else, spend time with their family or, you know, the litany of, on the list of things to do, um, they, they were selling their businesses or selling their properties or all those things to to what eventually I would assume, and I don't know the details, would be larger investment houses, hedge funds, things like that, to where now you have uh, the Shelter Cove Mall, which is, a, you know, they've got the park and they have the, the, it's an outdoor walking mall compared to everything inside that was built you know, way back when. Uh, that was a thing to do in the 70s and 80s, but now it seems to be outdoors. Um, so you, you have... It, it, it's just a, it, it's just the, the generational shifts that, that we see throughout society. And I can see where, and I, I've, I guess, has transgressed that time where I was here at the, I was lucky enough I was here at the end of Old Hilton Head. Right. Right, like the early 90s to the mid-90s, that, that, that was the tapering off of the original Hilton Head. And obviously I've, I've been here to, to see the, the growth and development of what I guess would be called New Hilton Head. And you can see the pluses and the minuses of both. And you can see why some people were irritated, and some people are happy, but that just happened. That's just life, I think. You know, things change. Cool. Uh, but your question, the north end of the island, I mean, th- there was nowhere else to build. Right. And the north end of the island had, had was largely uh, an untapped resource. It was where the land was. Um, right. So, yeah, uh, and the development down there has been, uh, in large part, residential. Um, there's been some timeshare put down there back on uh, Squire Pope Road and uh, the backside of Hilton Head Plantation. 
Uh, and then most of the development, housing development, has been along, uh, you know, the Spanish Wells Road and that whole corridor yep. uh, back in that direction. So uh, it, it's nice to see that, that, that things are still growing because, you know, if, if you're not moving forward, you know, you're staying stagnant, and that, that's never a good thing. Yeah. So you went from the island. Now you're out in Bluffton. Mm-hmm. What made you switch from island out into Bluffton? When it came time to buy as a young person, and that was, let's see, that I was still in my 20s. Uh, my brother had moved here. Um, he, he's about six years, five and a half, six years younger than I am. And, and we were looking to, to get something because we were renting on the island, and the only place we could afford to buy was Bluffton. Right. And, and not just Bluffton, but, I mean, Westbury Park, where you and I both live now, was on the outskirts of Bluffton. I mean, everybody said yeah. when, when I bought there in, let's see, it was March 31st of 2002. Oh. Man, you were crushing it with dates. Yes. I mean, there, there's certain dates you're remembering a lot. You buy your first house. When, when you move to a place that you end up being, um, you'll remember the day of your wedding, I hope. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> Whatever that is. Um, but, I mean, it, it wasn't just Bluffton. That was the outskirts of Bluffton. you got to remember back then the promenade wasn't built yet. I yep. think it was an idea. It was probably in the planning stages. Uh, I'm sure Jackie Orlando, who's with us now at the company, uh, her husband, Mark, was a town planner. I'm sure she, she might be able to talk to that a little bit on, on how far advanced that was. But ground, I, did I remember, ground had not been broken yet. Bluffton, Old Town, was, was still a, a flashing stoplight at the nickel pumpers. Um, so Westbury Park was considered way out there, like country. Like, why do you want to move to the country? Uh, Kroger wasn't built yet. Um, food line, I think had just been built in like the late nineties. That was the only thing out there. Once you got past the Scottish mill shop, which now is sold, which is amazing. I mean, that place has been here. It was been here as long as I have. So over 30 years. The place sold? Yes. Um, so moving out to bluff, then that, that was the only thing we could afford. Right. Um, so that, that's where we, uh, moved to. And now it's like that, that's the epicenter as development has gone that direction of South. I think the. When 10 years ago, the epicenter of development in the southern part of the county, which would be from Hilton Head to the Broad River Bridge, uh, was at Moss Creek. It had moved off island. And now right. I think it has gravitated all the way out to Westbury Park. Where do you think the next, like, hub of development will be, whether it's in Bluffton, Beaufort, Ridgeland, Hardyville? Do you think anything is going to start amassing there since there's not many spaces left on the island to build? If any, you can't really build more island we're not in dubai um the bluffton's starting to fill up the growth is exponential mm-hmm. where do you think the next big i i think personally i think it's gonna be ridgeland because th- that's considered what country would be now and yeah. in talking to some people whose families have been here for 80 to 100 plus years um because R- ridgeland and, and i've sold some houses up there to some very good people uh and going up there a number of times ridgeland has already started seeing the growth i mean yep. it's been happening for 10 to 15 years. It might not be as accelerated because it's not, uh, it's kind of on the outskirts so far, as far as Hilton Head is concerned, and maybe even Buford, you know, um, it's from from Hilton Head, it's about, depending where you go in, in, in Ridgeland, Jasper County, it, it's about 20 minutes, 30. From Buford downtown, it's, it's probably 15. Um, but in talking to some of these families who have lived here for, for decades, uh, th- there is, Jasper County has a lot of tracts of land. Right. 500 acres, 1,500 acres, uh, and larger. And a lot of these, this big money that's coming into the area is buying up these tracts of land. Now, whether they're going to sit sit on them and use them for hunting, fishing, you know, retreats, what have you, uh, is still up in the air. But I, I would have to imagine at some point 
a lot of that area is going to get developed. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see it grow. So if somebody is looking, let's say they can't afford in Bluffton the same way 20-some years ago I couldn't afford in Hilton Head. If they're looking for the next area I would, and, and, they, and they plan on being here for a long time, I would say Ridgeland would be a viable option. What have they built up there recently? Uh, well, you've got, it used to be, because I used to drive up there on days off just to see what's in the area. Right. It used to be the only grocery store was the Piggly Wiggly, which is right on Main Street in mm. downtown Ridgeland. And now uh, a couple of the clients have told me that they have another grocery store, a little higher end, so to speak, like a, along the lines of a fresh mark. I think it, it's Low Country Fresh or something like that. Oh, it's yeah, not, yeah. not the same as the one in the on the Bluffton or Buckwalter Parkway. It's, it's oh. a different brand but it, it's along those same lines right i, I believe you, they yeah. like to get local farmers uh to bring their produce or sell anything that's developed or grown within a 90 mile radius um but i mean congaree golf clubs up there which you know if, for the golf fanatics out there the rbc canadian open was played there last year kind of odd the canadian open played in south right. carolina um and, and and that's owned by what well, was two billionaires one of them passed away but some i mean they have unlimited resources so yeah. they they are buying up land and houses around the area uh which is is helping or, or well again if you look at ridgeland i'm sure there's some people who don't like that development they want it to be rural and on the outskirts like it always has been i'm sure there's some people moving in or enjoy seeing the development and, and the um the improvements uh to infrastructure and things like that uh congaree is the big one you know they, they've always i believe they've always had their their small airport up there um, but it's just, you know, developers, and I, I think they're, they're looking at the demographics of the, uh, the work, more of the working class who are living there, the, the type of homes being built there are, you know, from what I see are anywhere from 1,500 square feet to 2,600 square feet uh, that, that those people are going to be working. It's easy for them to get to Buford. It, it's relatively easy for them to get to Hilton Head and even at, at, in some way, shape, or form to get to Savannah. Speaking on airports, um, how do you think the expansion, now we're going to go back to Hilton Head, the expansion of our airport on Hilton Head has influenced growth in the area too, to go along with Savannah. Have they expanded that anymore recently? I, I, I haven't followed as much as I should. I, I, I see that where they're, they add different airlines, and yep. I, I know that they can get larger jets. I think that they're waiting. The, the, the rumor was in, the, there was the old church, which is across the street mm -hmm. at the end of the runway, and that was one of the reasons that they couldn't have the expansion, I guess, with FAA regulations and, and all those things. I don't know details about that. but, um, And I heard that the, the younger people in the church, as we get into, again, generational changes, younger people in the church didn't mind having the town or whoever was going to buy that property and then moving them to another property at no cost to them so that that would be able to be utilized. But it, it was the older uh, old guard that did yep. obviously they grew up and that's that that's their church and they don't want to have it taken from them which is understandable but uh, I, I think that opening Hilton Head Airport making it larger so more planes can get here direct the easier you can make something that the as Amazon has shown and a lot of things have Walmart on everything online and ship uh, the easier you can make something the more people are going to gravitate towards that. So if they, do, if they don't have to fly to Atlanta, they don't have to fly to Charlotte and then fly to Hilton Head, if they can fly here direct from Boston or D.C. or Pittsburgh or Philadelphia and New York and New Jersey, uh, it, I think that they will gravitate towards coming here more. Not that we need more people. I mean, since COVID, we, we've had a mass influx of, a mass influx. Mass influx of people.
um, in large part, I think, <coughs> because our, our restrictions were limited because we're an outdoor. Most of our activities on Hilton Head are outdoor. Yeah. And it's not as clustered as if you were living in New York City Correct. or Boston or one of those major cities. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're going to go back to Ridgeland with uh, Congregate. Did you go to that tournament? No, I I, um, I wasn't feeling good when that tournament happened. I don't know if it was out, bad allergies or what it was. My brother did go, and a bunch of friends of mine went. But um, I, I have been up there. I have played it. It's an amazing place. I mean, you, you drive in, and as beautiful as the drive to Belf in the Belfair is, it Congaree is that plus. Yes. And it's really – have you been there? Yeah. I went to the tournament. Okay, and and, and the, the trees, right? And yeah. Oh. The, the trees of Belfair are beautiful, but those, yeah. and I've got a book on the history of Belfair, and and when they built the plantation house, and I mean, that, that old plantation house and that drive was planted roughly 80, 70, 80, maybe, maybe it's going to be pushing 100 years ago. The trees at Congaree, because I asked the, the pros there, and they told me they had an arborist out, and they ballparked those trees at 260 years plus. So you can just imagine it's 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 uh, almost two times pushing two and a half times the age on, on a live oak, and I mean the the the, the diameter on, on those oak trees has got to be twelve feet, maybe mm-hmm. maybe more. There's some 14, pretty 16 big, feet pretty big diameter. Yeah, um, and it's just it, you can't replicate that. Only no. time. No, it was it was awesome walking around and just watching that tournament. I thought it was a great place. And the history, I mean, they, they preserved the, the, that, that original clubhouse. So when you're coming up the main drive and you're looking at the, at the old plantation house, yep. that was the original house. I don't know how many people know that, but they had moved that from Ridgeland with horse and, and carriage, I guess. I don't know how they moved that entire house with horse and carriage, but they did. That's crazy. And then directly behind it is the, um, not to ruffle any feathers, but it's the history of the place. It's the old slave quarters. Right, and, and they kept that as a testament to, to, to the people who, who worked there and lived there. Um, and then there is a small cemetery, as you know, and I asked them, I said, well, what, what's the cemetery? And they said, well, that was all the hunting dogs for the property. I said, they have a cemetery for hunting dogs. They said they valued their pets, right? Because it was a hunting plant. It was hunting, uh, I believe it was rice, and I can't remember the other, uh, obviously, in the south, it was going to be cotton and might have been indigo. Hmm. But um, supposedly, the word, the, the rumor was that, that Congaree did that to help out, obviously, the PGA Tour, and, and it was good for the local area. Um, but the rumor is that, that they are vying for a President's Cup. And they wanted to see what, how they would handle a tournament, number one. Obviously, the PGA Tour is not just going to arbitrarily give somebody who's never had the experience of having a tournament right. on their property. They're not just going to say, oh, hey, go ahead and take our, one of our marquee events. So it, it was a kind of a test for them, what infrastructure they need, how much more they need to put in. Uh, and then from what I heard, some of the feedback was it, it was going to be more than they wanted to get into, not that financials are a, a, an inhibitor. Um, but I, I've heard both ways. I've heard, no, they're going to pursue it, or no, they're not going to pursue it. But, I mean, they definitely have the property. They do. I thought it was pretty interesting. When you got there, you actually parked in this field across the road. Mm-hmm. And then they'd stop the traffic. They've let groups, hundreds of people go at a time. You climb these steps, and then you're basically right there. I think it was like the fourth or fifth fairway. And then you'd cross over 
And then that was like the entrance point. And then they had their like a different entrance point, maybe at like the front of the property, but that was for like VIPs, players, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it was just kind of weird. Like I'd never been to a tournament where you basically entered and it was like you were already right there. On like well, the fourth, the, fifth there, it, like. It, we're getting you know Augustus coming up next week. The first time I ever went to Augusta was when I was living here as a kid, and I I mean this is a kind of a funny story. It is so the two seventy eight corridor back then did not go out to ninety five. The, the right the DNR did not allow it. There was a big struggle over that for many years, and then eventually it, it got approved. Um, so back then, you when you went out to two seventy eight, you had to go either towards Savannah or towards. Buford on 170, and you had to go back roads all the way to, well, the back roads to the river plant. Right. And then uh, you usually went up through um, Tillman, and you, you go back road to the river plant and then come out on the other side. Um, but I, I got it. So back then you could also buy tickets at the gate. They were $20. So I get up, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't want to drive all the way to Augusta. It's two and a half hours away uh, and have them be sold out. So I think I got up at something like 430 in the morning. No oh boy. And and I get up there, and I get lost. And back then, there was no GPS. There was no phone. So you stopped at a gas station, and they didn't know it. So I just – somehow I found my way to where I needed to be. And then I'm – uh, but the story goes about what you just said, where you, you walk into the golf course. And, and when I get to Augusta, I've got no idea where I'm going. Right. So I find, you know, follow, hey, park here. And, you know, $5, you can park all day. Okay, fine. And then I go into one of the gates, and where that gate was, was you came out at the fifth hole. So my initial boy, uh, visit to Augusta was walking out to the fifth hole. Um, and, but still, you're still in awe. You're like, oh, my God, this yeah. is, I mean, it's, it's green heaven. Yeah, it's wild. And it, it's the thing about Augusta that nobody realizes. There, there's two things when everybody goes to Augusta that they say, because I've been two dozen times and have taken people and, and watched this. They cannot believe how manicured it is. And everybody on average will bend down at least three times in the day and touch the grass because they think that can't be real. It's just too perfect. Yep. And the second is, is, is the big one is how hilly it is. You know, I, I think from the 10th tee to the 10th green is something like a 12-story drop, 12, 15, something like that. It, it's ridiculous. And you can't really get the grasp of that when you watch it on TV. No, and you 18 is dramatically uphill. <coughs> and I, you know, everyone was making a big thing about Tiger going to Augusta this week. And that was a practice round. And, you know, Tiger doesn't do anything that's not calculated. So, yep. and I, I'm sure he was going up there to, to test to see if his leg was, was going to be able to do it. Um, but anyway, my, my story about Augusta. So I'm there all day long. I mean, I, I didn't leave till I, I, I finally got there. I think it was seven in the morning. Um, I'm there all day long because you're just in awe. And I think I leave there. I ate dinner uh, at the course, you know, the, the, pimento cheese and the, you know the, it's true it, it cost you like back then it was like a dollar fifty for a chicken sandwich yeah but then i leave and I, i'm just so i'm on cloud nine and i ended up i said well i'm not going to take those back roads back because i don't want to get lost again i want to get on the interstate because you could go the long way you could take 20 to columbia and then columbia down to you know 95 um so i get on on 20 and somehow some way i go the wrong way and I don't realize it until I see the sound the sign that says Macon County. And Macon County, that's Atlanta. <laughs> so, <laughs> so naturally, I'm like, hey, you got to be kidding me. So I, I, of course, turn around. And by the time I get back, it's like 1130 at night. Oh, boy. So I, I left at 430 in the morning. I got back about 1130 at night. 
but it was first time to Augusta and it, it was all good. It, it, it was just a very memorable experience. Yes. And I have not forgotten that since. Speaking of Tiger, do you think he's going to play? Oh yeah. The, the, the word out now is, you know, the, cause I was tr- looking at social media today that he played and he did fine. So I, I would have to say he's going to play. And the ironic thing is, you know, if you look at, go back to last August at the PGA, Phil wins the PGA tigers out right indefinitely with his leg. Right. And now, Fast forward to today, and now Phil's out for whatever he's, whether they asked him not to come or he's fixing and trying, whatever he's doing, he's doing. Yep. And now Tiger looks like he's in. It's just a complete reversal of fortune and misfortune. Do you think Tiger makes the cut? Ooh. You know, I, I had this conversation with Doc Sasha McKenzie the other day. Um, I wouldn't put it past him. If one thing we've learned about Tiger Woods is you don't bet against him. That's very true. If, unless you want to lose. Yeah. And that's a very special place. And it is. It seems to do special things for people. Exactly. So how wild would that be if he won? Oh, God. The world would explode. It would. <laughs> that, that would honestly be one of the coolest sports experiences. Mm-hmm. Or like things to go down in history. I mean, when he won in Atlanta at the, at the Tour Championship and he had that, that Pied Piper where the, the crowd just followed him up 18. Yeah. I mean, you didn't think it could get any better than that. And then he goes and wins at Augusta the next spring, and it's like, you know, and I, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say, I just think that that was, everyone says he's going to win again because he's Tiger Woods. I think he'll, he'll, if he wins a PGA Tour event, I don't, I think some people would be surprised or at least happy for him, and, and some people might say, well, okay, it's Tiger, we're not that surprised. But I, I think him winning that Masters and doing it where his kids could see him, I almost view that as, as like a, a, a greyhound catching a rabbit. And like something internally has shifted and that golf is not his number one priority as, as much right. as it was before, right? His, his kids and his family are, rightfully so. Uh, but he has done it for so long and so well and he's so efficient and so good and so he has more skills than anybody that he, he, just, it, he just might be that much better and able to do it, even though it's not his focus like it used to be how do you think his son's gonna end up doing well that that's a difficult one because the the thing that makes tiger who he is was the mental side and to, to grow up where you and obviously tiger had you know it's not that he struggled but he had challenges to to overcome at that point in time in, in the country's history and, and his background and his ethnicity and race uh where the, it, it's it's different today where, where Tiger's family, he, Tiger didn't come from money and, and overcoming those things. I think he even pointed that out in his Hall of Fame speech where he wasn't even sure if he was going to go to college. I mean, here you got the, probably the number one junior in the country as a junior in high school, and he's not sure if he's going to go to college. And, and you know, I, I don't think his son has any doubt that he can pick any college in the world he wants to go to. It's not like money's a factor. So. A different set of circumstances and challenges, but obviously the kid will be very good and have every opportunity to succeed. But it's like, okay, someone coming up who's equally as talented and has that extra desire and has to overcome, if you put him head-to-head, that would be, you know, who would you bet the money on? The kid who who has fought tooth and nail, like Tiger more or less had to, or the kid um, who, who who worked very hard, I'm sure, but, did, you know, didn't have as many obstacles to challenges to get right. I mean he's got what like a six hole course on his backyard right <laughs> I, mean, I, w- I would hope you'd be no, pretty I, good. I'm, I'm sure his dad will 
mentally prepare him. Oh yeah, the same way that, that yeah. Earl prepared Tiger. Yeah. Do you do you think he'll win on the PGA Tour? Charlie. Yeah. Oh, that I mean, that's what is he now? Twelve or thirteen? Twelve or thirteen? Seven yeah. years from now, that that's a hard one. I, I mean, I I I would say yes. You know, you have to just the lineage and the, and the tutoring he's going to get. Yeah. Um, and he's playing against his dad. And he's playing against Justin Thomas, who's a very good family friend. I, I would have to say yes. The the thing that I I would wonder about is because he's grown up with it, and because it's such a big part of his life. That does he is that his pursuit? Is that what he really? goes into you know because he's been around it that that's just you know um most kids uh boy or girl it doesn't matter what what uh field they choose to go into but i i don't see it all uh, very often happening especially when somebody is at the the best in the world or the best of all time that they follow their parents into that it maybe it whether it's too overwhelming or what but they don't have the same i mean you're talking about a once in a generation yeah athlete you know how for their kids to do it is a tremendous amount of pressure. That's very true. It'll be very interesting to see if if he even pursues that. Who knows? He might. He yeah, might he not. might say, "Hey, Dad, I, I really like playing golf, but I, yeah. I, I really, I, I, I like doing this better." Yeah. And he can always play golf. And he can always stay an amateur. He can always play amateur events or just play with his buddies or friends or business, whatever, whatever it ends up being. But you know, he might say, "Hey, I, I want to be in. Uh, want to." Work for Tesla. I want to. I want to. I want to be an artist. I want to be an actor. You know, whatever. Fill in the blank. Um, and I'm sure he'll do well based off the fundamentals that his his parents instill in him. Staying on golf. How do you feel about the the Saudi tour? And th- that's an interesting question. As I sit there and follow the the op- opposing arguments online, Brandel Chambly being one of them. Um, he definitely he makes a very strong argument for the ethical side of, of that discussion. Um, part of me said, look, uh, anything, and, and we're in the real estate business, so I don't mind competition because that improves everybody involved. Right. You have to or, or you're going to get overrun. Always. Right? Um, and or if it's a, if your competition is subpar, it just <coughs> makes you look better. By yep. what you do, so you know we've, with you and, and the help that you do with your photos and videos and three D tour and all the things that we do here, I tell people that, for example, if I go on a listing appointment, I say, look, my standard package is everybody else's platinum package. Like, the the sole mantra I have is, do, if you're going to do it, do it great. Yep. Do a great job. So everything is, is at a certain level that says. We're our, the, everyone else, like I said, everyone else's platinum is, is our standard. And, and the negotiation and everything else uh, go on top of that, the ability to do so. Um, so I don't mind competition in that way. Uh, but the argument is made of the ethical standards of the the group behind the funding this. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a difficult situation. Uh, I, I don't know, e- even if they get, and it appears some of the players are getting or are, are, are up in age, and, and they have some draw. But it's like, okay, even if they get it up and running and off the ground, how do they grow it? Because I think that's where that league is missing it. And whether you agree with the statement or not, I think Greg Norman had all and would have had a stronger career, even though he had an exceptionally strong career. If if money wasn't his, it seemed to be at least that money was his 
driving factor or simply success that would allow him to achieve finances. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's what it appeared to be, that it wasn't just winning for the sake of winning. Right. Right. Take Tiger Woods as we were talking about him, for example. Tiger Woods had one goal in mind, was to win more to majors win. than anybody else. Yep. And, and the fact that, that he is worth arguably a billion dollars, and he's gone through all his surgeries and everything, and he's still trying to win. It has nothing to do with the money. Um, he has more money than you could probably ever more spend money in a he, he probably has toilet paper made out of $100 bills. So, and so does Greg Norman. But if you were going to do something like that, and why I came up with this opinion is they're offering people a lot of money and you don't ever do anything extraordinary or great solely with the, the, the fundamental thing being finances. You know, people have got to want to come there for, for other reasons. Um, you know, I don't think Steve Jobs built Apple simply because he wanted to become a billionaire. I mean, the, the guy went from having a thousand to a hundred thousand to a million to, to 10 million to a hundred million in like five years. So it, it, and that was well in advance of them ever developing iPods and iPhones and all the other things that they did. So I just don't see money as being the number one motivating factor in anything that is changes the, the entire dynamic or the entire paradigm, which is seems what the that live tour is, is attempting to do. That's the name of it. Yes, LIV. I don't know what it's some, something investment. I don't know what the name, but they're they're adamant that it should not be called the SAL, Saudi Arabian League. So have they had anybody like actually sign for it yet? If they did, they've kept it on very quiet. Which you know the whole Phil thing. I think you know he was. I, I'm. This is a, a ten thousand foot view. I, I think Phil was kind of the being employed as the recruiter, right? And and he. I think he just kind of got too far ahead of himself, and I, which is unfortunate for him, fortunate for the others who, who might have committed verbally but never signed anything. And there were rumors on who it was, but it never got They out. were offering people, like, set salaries, right? Basically, like, yeah. I saw somewhere, like, they offered DeChambeau, like, $130 million. Mm-hmm. Like, now, he, his camp says that wasn't true. So, I mean, who you're never yeah. going to know. Um, but I, I think they were – I think it was uh, – they had a lot of different things that they changed, you know, something the effect of that they would end on Saturdays instead of Sundays or a lot of, a lot of different, I think tee off a one in 10 uh, to make things fast so that, that they could get done in, in shorter times and enjoy. I mean, I agree with making the round shorter because some of those events take forever and you mm-hmm. got like your notorious, like 10 or 15 guys that are just slow as snails, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't, I don't know about changing the whole. But yeah, I'll tell you the interesting thing between golf, as we're talking about golf and Hilton Head, is Hilton Head, the, the main attraction had always for, in the old Hilton Head had always been golf, right. golf courses, world-class golf courses. I mean, there's a golf course like every block. I think basically. there's 27 golf courses on Hilton Head, 41, might even be more now. Well, now that they build up, that's actually Jasper kind of, but we'll incorporate the 278 quarter. I, th- I think yeah. there's 45 golf courses on the southern half of Beaufort County, which is pretty substantial. Yeah. Um, but getting into the, the 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 mid and late 90s, as things were changing and, and everything, tech was starting to, or it, it already 
changing people's lives and time was becoming so much more valuable. I think golf had, golf has obviously slipped down. The number one attraction here now is the beach. True. And pickleball. Pickleball is good. Pickleball is making a huge run. Huge. Have you played? No, but it's over. I was over at the, here in Palmetto Dunes at, at the community center the other day. And I mean, pickleball had taken over almost half the tennis courts at the tennis center and they were packed. Yeah. They had like a national event or something here. Um, or they have one like every year. Crazy. Well, you can see why if you look at demographics, you know, tennis, even if you're playing doubles, um, there's a lot of running, lateral movement yep. back and forth. And you know, that, that takes its toll on the joints, especially at the, the age of some of our uh, people who live here as they're retired. And, and I yep. think pickleball allows them to continue to get outside physically active, but not have the, the, like the, you can, the, the courts like what half the size yeah. or not even. Yeah, because you can basically play golf until you end up not being alive anymore mm-hmm. and pickleball is way more accessible than playing tennis while still having tennis like qualities. Mm-hmm. I haven't played it yet. I think it looks pretty fun. John's apparently going to start playing. So we've been talking every podcast, everybody pickleball gets brought up at least once. Yeah. It, it started where I, th- I think it, it started some, it did not start here is it is a raging thing. It, right. That people were coming here were saying that this pickleball is really taken off and then they started playing here more and more. And then it just, it's a craze. I mean, everybody's like, you play pickleball? Like, no. <laughs> I'm going to have to try it. We'll get Karina out and we'll try pickleball. Mm-hmm. Take Eileen. I might. I mean, she's a tennis fanatic, and she's feeling the effects of if she doesn't play tennis for a while, and then she goes and plays, and she finds it hard to walk the next morning. <laughs> I mean, right now, I haven't played golf in a couple of weeks. If I go try to swing a club, I'm going to feel it too. <laughs> yep. So, Pete, we got on a little tangent talking about golf, as we're both golfers. But mm-hmm. you're a student of economics as well. How do you think uh, the market has changed in Hilton Head from like the 08 downturn to now? Because of the age of the island and the properties and the changing dynamic of society in general, where, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, that technology has, has obviously made a huge impact on everybody's lives. What I found... And, and I write multiple newsletters, one for the ocean-oriented area in the first five rows here. So the, the very the highest-end market and then uh, in the, the middle-range market, the family market in Bluffton. What was found was as, as Hilton Head was coming out of the recession, and it started obviously with investors buying rental properties, small rental properties on Hilton Head in the south end in the 100000 range. And then from like 2009 until – 2012, that price point went up every year. So 100,000 to 250 to 500, and then it got to about 700, and it, it started to slow down a little bit, but it kept increasing until about the million, million and a half mark. And in uh, everybody was expecting. We'll, we use Palmetto Dunes for as an example, since I I write the newsletter, or a newsletter for that area. Uh, and to, uh, the market had seen con- noticeable appreciation across all spectrums, and the wave, as we call it here, meaning Sections go in waves. Uh, they, they catch a wave and their values jump, and then people look at something else, and then that wave holds steady for a while or even recedes, and then it, it, it just constantly goes up. But what we, were see- what we saw was everyone expected in, after 2015 that the million dollars and up, so million dollars to $5 million market was going to see their jump in 2016, and it fell flat. In other words, Leamington, which for some of those who might not know, is the private section of Palmetto Dunes, meaning no short-term rentals. Mariners is the section of homes where you can rent weekly. Right. Short-term. So 
in 2016, and I might have my years off just a little bit, so if anyone checks this, fact checks, you know, I might be off by a year, but Leamington outsold Mariners for the first time in the history of the, of the island, 50 years. And everybody wondered what, what the hell happened. But what we started to see, which is prevalent now, is the dynamic of people who had the money, even after the recession. So re- mostly people who had worked their entire career or had received an inheritance were moving here more permanently, and they didn't want to be next to a house that might be rented on a regular basis. So I'm like, okay, th- that's kind of eye-opening. But then the next year, so 2017, 18, 19, things were trending back up, even in the multi-million dollar home market, but not trending up to the level that we had seen on appreciation from the market crash. So for 10 years, everything was progressing at a certain rate. And depending on what segment of the market you were talking about, it was anywhere from, say, 4 to 7% appreciation in the market as a whole. Yet, as we got into the bigger properties, we were not seeing that in, in those three years, 17, 18, 19. And I'm looking at this, and, and as I talk to owners in, in those areas about selling their properties and what the market was doing, and they're like, well, why is this happening? And so I, I have somewhat of a background in economics, and I want to look at what was going on. And what we were seeing simultaneous was places like Daniel Island, in Charleston compared to Sullivan's Island, the same thing was happening where Daniel Island was selling multi-million dollar houses. Like we were selling $300,000 condos for our area. Palmetto Bluff was out selling ocean area of Palmetto Dunes, Sea Pines, Forest Beach, uh, Folly, uh, Folly Field, Singleton Beach, that area by quite a large margin, meaning second row river lots in, in Palmetto Bluff at that time were selling for 800,000 to a million and a million, over a million, depending on the size, where second row lots in Palmetto Dunes were struggling to get 700 to 750,000. So it's like, okay, there's 800 minimum to a million plus. Why is the ocean? So, you know, you start looking at these things and, and you look at what causes people to do things. And as it relates to economics, you know, everything is, you know, you have resources, you have uh, uh, capital, you have uh, manpower, you have all these different things, time being one of them. Well, if you looked at the, the national and the worldwide dynamic of we've got our phones all the time, we're always on emails, we're on computers, uh, we're being bombarded with information, whether that's a good thing or bad thing. And time became such a valuable resource to people that buying something new was where they didn't have to do anything, where it was more or less turnkey. Even if they had to pay 10 to 20% more, was more valuable to them than buying something for 30% off if it was at the ocean. So time and money, or, or time had taken over as the number one resource in buyers' minds. And location, which was always the number one determining factor in real estate, and finances fell down the list. So th- there was a shifting of what resources were most valuable. And I've written about this many times in articles since then. As that dynamic changed in other words that the prices of new new development were exceeding 25 30 35 percent of the value of let's say something near the ocean on hilton head buyers got to the point that said well maybe we can start shifting because at 30 percent of our money that's quite a bit more we can maybe adjust our schedules that we can buy something we don't mind remodeling it because the advent of shows such as Property Brothers, Joanna Gaines, Homes on Homes. I mean, those things are all huge. So now people love to do that. And they they better, more, more so they understand they can do it. So there was a shift in, in the 
economics of it that once the prices of those new communities got too high, then the prices on Hilton Head of the older homes became much more appealing. And you got to remember, people at that price point have the means to 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 put their money wherever they want to, and and they are drawn. And and the, the second part of that, they have more options than say you or I. Right. Meaning they have international options. They have yeah. uh, uh, people are calling them constantly. Hey, we have this this widget, or we have this market, or we have this thing that you can put your money in, and you're going to make fifteen uh, percent return where the stock market is is going to make six to seven percent return. Um, so as they looked at those things, and they look at things a little bit differently, they're looking at, okay, Hilton Head million dollar plus or ocean-oriented market is in a depressed, it's a depressed asset right now. Right or wrong, it's, it is what it is. So that has the most opportunity. So they started segueing out of new development. Again, Hilton Head versus Palmetto Bluff, Sullivan's Island versus Daniel Island, they're two big examples for the low country. And you slowly saw that the, the older properties started selling. They started going up in value. Uh, in addition to that, the, the, the worldwide investments, they had been into the, in those for, let's say, three-plus years. And th- those things were, were reaching their expiration date, so to speak. So as more people flocked to it and the values went up, investors started saying, okay, what's the next thing we can invest in? Because investors are, are looking for – they look for volatility and or they look for – all right, I'm up. Now, What's the, where, where's the biggest potential for me to, to move that money and continue the growth? And that was obviously Hilton Head and multi-million dollar homes. That had already started in 19, and it was, it was, it was a bullish market, meaning it was progressively going up at, at a very steady pace. Well, then you throw COVID on top of that. And by, by COVID, I mean nobody knew what was going to happen in the world or the market. So it, it could it very easily went the other way in that the, the values crash, but it just so happens that policies and us being outdoors and what this area offers that the values just took off. So it was a perfect storm for the market as a whole, but in particular, it pulled the million dollar plus market out of the slump that it had been in since the recession and just catapulted it to now there's last I checked, there was one oceanfront house in the market in the entire Island. Crazy. Crazy. What do you think is going to happen over the next Five years. I think that it's going to provide a, 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 a once in, let's say, a, a, I won't say once in a lifetime, but a, a, a very great opportunity for people to, to, to buy and, and, and get some, some things that, that, that are very good for them and for the seller. And what I mean by that is Obviously, the market is, is at a white-hot pace, and it has been for some time, and everyone knows that the market is going to correct itself. Now, is it going to be a crash like in 2008? I don't think so because there, there's not any circumstance out there that, that has pumped it up beyond where most people think it should be. So, But it's just a, 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 an ebb and flow of economies. So I, when that's going to happen, I, I thought at the earliest it was going to happen third quarter this year. Um. And now you take in the fact that the, the the world scene, the political scene, and all these factors play a play a role. Those are all variables. Um, interest rates uh, going up, um, inflation, all these things. It, the market will have a correction. Now, with that, depending on the policies that are implemented, on what allows people to put their money in places that are going to continue to make money. So. Um, I think that investors are very strong in the market right now. 
obviously because rents are so high. Yep. But as we know throughout history, investors, and as we talked about, will pivot very quickly on what they think is the next thing that's going to, that, that's right now is a depressed market and, and is going to come up, whether it's the housing market or whether it's uh, commodities, whether it's stocks. So they're already looking, I think, because all the statistics show that investors are heavily in the market. And let's say that they're 10% of who buys in real estate. If the top 10% shift and, and they move their money out, well, the, the, the next 10 or 20% are going to, I think, will have a pullback just because they're saying, okay, if these people are really researching this and they're putting their money into something that will make money, why are they, why are they moving it out now? Whether it, the reason is because they can make more in something else is irrelevant. The ripple effect, I think, will be that the market itself has a slowdown. Um, whether you get on the political side or not, uh, what happens in the economy? If the economy stays in inflation, uh, I think that will help buyers and bringing the values down a little bit, compiled with investors moving. I mean, these are a lot of moving parts. A lot um, of moving parts. If, um, if those two things happen, I, I think prices will start to stabilize more. Will they come down? Maybe, probably. But I, I think that it will be a, a more neutral market. I just think that it will be some time for people to adjust to their perspective on the prism that they look through. On right. Some people think, well, I'm losing a lot of money. I'm not going to sell. Some people, people will think, well, the market, market is volatile. I don't want to get in. But for those who, who realize that when there's volatility or when there's when there's less buyers in the market, that's the opportunity for a buyer to buy. When there's less sellers in the market, that's a great opportunity to sell because you have less com people competing. So over the next five years, I, I, I think, and I think that that market's uh, correction will stay stable, whether the perception of stability or not will stay stable for at least four years, regardless of who gets in political power, because we have seen over time, the number one thing we get in the fall is people say, well, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to buy now or I'm not going to sell now because I want to see what happens with the election. Okay, yep. well, the election is not going to change. It's not going to change the tax code because if one party gets in, it's going to take them one year to look at what they want to change. And it's going to take another year to implement it. So there's two years there. So that's not going to affect you. Um, so regardless of a political association, whoever gets in, if they want to change something, they're going to change it. So over the course of that five-year period, I think it's going to be a great time for people who either want to buy or they want to sell. It will be more fair. Right now, the, the scale is heavily favoring the seller. And, if, and so much so that, that sellers have gone to saying, we're not taking appraisals, we're not taking uh, repairs. We're not, we're, you either want this, and you're going to pay our price for it. Or, or you're, you're not, not going to get it. <laughs> and, I, and, and that's why I think there's going to be a correction, because you, it, for, uh, using economics as the, as the barometer, there has to be some balance in there for Otherwise, it, it, once the scale gets tipped too much one way, it, it's just going to tumble. And then once it tumbles, if it, when, it, when it does come back, it comes back more level. I, I thought that the 2008, 17, 18, 19 market was extremely stabilized. Things were moving upwards at a fair level. It was a great time to sell, and it was a great time to buy. As we wrap it up here... Um can hit you with some rapid fire questions to finish this off. Uh -oh. Favorite restaurant, where and why? Uh, Sage Room. Okay. On Pope Avenue. Uh, they've been there. I, I was there the first week they were open. The The menu is wide. I mean, they have a, they have steaks. They're great. They have great steaks. They have fish. They have chicken. I mean, they have the, the – it, it's a wide array of things to, on the menu to choose from. And I have not ever 
been there or taken anybody or even heard any, anybody that said it was not phenomenal. You can sit at the bar. You can sit at the at the counter where they're cooking everything basically right in front of you. Uh, you can sit in they have private rooms. They have everything. And, and, it, and it's like most great restaurants on Hilton Head where it, it sits on the backside of a parking lot where most people don't even know it's there. I'm not going to lie to you. You've been? I have not been. I, I know where it is now, but I if you had asked me this question a year ago, I would have been like, I have no idea where it is. <laughs> because you're right. <laughs> it's in one of those places that you wouldn't think. Yeah, oh. I mean, if, if you look at so, so my list, if I could give a top three to five. Go it ahead. Sage Room, uh, Alfred's, um, uh, what's Amanda? P- Pomodori's. Um, I know I'm leaving a couple out, and I know their owners are going to kill me if, if I don't say them. Please <laughs> forgive me for, for going blank. I'm on the spot on camera. Um, but but those are just a few, and, and all of them are on parking lots. Yep. You wouldn't even know they were there. All right. Favorite golf course? Oh. Um, Give me a public and private. Public would probably be, obviously, Harbortown. I'm sure everybody's going to say that. Uh uh, this would be odd, but a close second is where I play quite a bit. Old South, just because it's. I love Old South. I mean, everyone plays there. They have fun. The, the 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 staff gets it. They have had locals play there. They they have the same staff. They they know what they're doing. They know who they are. They don't try to do something different. You have three holes in the woods, three holes open, and three holes on the marsh on both nines, uh, and it's just a fun place to play golf. Everybody's always. I mean, that whole thing is to have fun. Uh, private golf course would probably be without a doubt old tabby links on spring island that's just a very special place and i i I, I, I know the history there because i worked there back in the uh, mid 90s um so that that's a that's a very it's like that place was just meant to happen based off of their story favorite place to take your significant other on a date uh the beach Okay. I don't know if it gets more romantic than the beach, whether it's sunset or uh, sunrise. Okay. Best activity that is not golf? Oh. Well, if you if you look at the, the ratings online, I think it's zipline is the number one activity. But for me, if, if I was in – if this thing was, was my thing to do and it's not, uh, I would probably say the, the fishing around here. You can go deep sea. There are so many creeks and rivers around here. So many places to fish. You can go fish. Uh, the deep sea thing, I'm just, I just don't like to be seasick. Okay, so that was another question. Beach or boat, but oh, you don't beach. like to be seasick. Yeah, I like my feet to be on stable surface. That, that's John's number one question. Beat your boat. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. That's an easy one. That's very <laughs> rapid for me. Um, we don't really have any sports teams around here. Savannah Bananas. That's true. Have you been to one of their games recently? No, I can't get in. Dude, they have absolutely blown up on social media. It's ridiculous. And I watched, uh, I was on YouTube, the, the it was about a 20-minute documentary, I think. Maybe it was 15, mm-hmm. about the guy who owns them. Yeah. And I can remember when he bought them, and we heard, because I was in Savannah playing the Savannah Golf Club, and, and the guys over there, families have been there for generations, and they like, Savannah Bananas. What kind of stupid thing is, who is going to go thought. see Savannah Bananas? That was my thought when this I heard is, the name. This is the South, man. They like tradition. No yeah. one's going to go, and and they, now they you can't get a ticket. Yeah. It's almost like a year in advance. 
but evidently, I mean, that guy studied on, he studied a lot of Walt Disney. He studied a lot of Barnum and Bailey and, and what makes people. They're basically right now during like the, the spring league, they're like the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball. They do some, it's basically like a show mm-hmm. and the rules, like I think the games can't go over two hours. Like, so you're not just sitting there like, you know, normal baseball games take forever. Right. Um, so it's pretty interesting. And then when they play the real league, it's actual. Like, real well, and you have the history of that feel. I mean, that feel goes back to hundred plus years. Yeah. Ty Cobb and, and all the old timers. I had an uncle who played for the Yankees and they played for the angels when they expanded and, uh, I called him up and said, you ever play at that field in Savannah? He said, no, but everybody, when he was younger, had always talked about it. And he said that was a lot of guys wanting to go play there just because of the history of the. You know, they're getting a pro hockey team. In Savannah? Mm-hmm. It's uh, like pro NHL or, or like pro like e- UHL? Yeah, uh, like ECHL. That. So NHL, AHL, ECHL, if I'm not mistaken. I think it starts this winter or the next. They're building an arena for it. You know, I, I can imagine that, that Savannah has seen a tremendous amount of growth like Bluffton and Hilton had have. Yep. So I, I would have to say that the, and the, it's not like people are moving from Texas or Alabama just yep. to this area. They're moving from the north, and hockey has got it. You know, that's I always mean, been. I grew up playing hockey. Hockey is my favorite sport besides golf. Um, I mean, if you look I'll at definitely where, go to those yeah, games. If, if you look at where most of our visitors and, and eventually residents come from, it, it, it's the, was it the original eight? The hockey teams, I mean, mm-hmm. you got Boston, New York, Detroit, Chicago, Philadelphia, and then you even get up into Canada with no, uh, no Philadelphia. It's uh, Toronto, Montreal, Toronto, Montreal, right? So th- th- those areas uh, come this way, and I'm, I'm sure that makes total sense. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for. It. Definitely going to go to a game. Season tickets too. I don't know. I haven't looked into it. Oh, I'd- I'll go. I mean, I, I growing up in Detroit, I uh, I didn't go to a Red Wings game until. Four years ago. Really? I, well, it was such a hard ticket to get by the time That's I was true, able they were, to go myself. They were a powerhouse in the oh, 90s, early yes. 2000s. And Iserman and Federoff and Brendan Shanahan. Yes. Dominic and, and when I was, I mean, I was playing, like I said, I played a lot of sports in middle school and high school, and I, mean, I just didn't have time to go to games. My dad wasn't a hot. We, we would watch the playoffs, of course, because of Detroit, but uh, there wasn't enough interest back then we, we would go to pistons games we just didn't and i knew hardly anything about hockey as strange as that sounds so to wrap this up last question for you are we gonna have another car show at westbury yes next year my man that the was biggest the biggest event in the history of the community that was a that was a fantastic event so uh so, i mean the, the, the challenge is we set the bar so high it's like well, how now do you gotta do it again how do we do it again <laughs> Wrap this up, Pete. Plug your socials. Where can people find you? How can they get in touch with you? I I have it under. It's not under my name. It's under PNP. It's my initials, Peter Nicholas Popovich Real Estate. That's the easiest one to find. Social media, um, post listings on there. Post fun things to do around the Low Country. Whatever's happening, that's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. P Peter N Nicholas P Real Estate. Drop a link down in the show notes for everybody. Awesome. It's been fun. It's been a blast. (laughs) Also, check out Pete's podcast. It's great.